Hello. Before we get underway with our latest episode of Gin and Gentlemen, we just wanted to let you know that Under a Spitfire Sky, our debut Ellie Curzon novel for Orion Dash, is just 99p in ebook in the UK for the whole of April 2021. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen, with me, Eleanor Harkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by an editorial meeting full of gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. And why have you got an editorial meeting full of gentlemen there, Catherine? I've got an editorial meeting full of gentlemen because we're going to be talking about writing short stories for a rather famous women's magazine. Indeed. So... In our last episode, which was the first episode of season two, um, we talked about writing as Ellie Curzon for Orion with our World War II sagas. Um, But Ellie Curzon is busy doing other things as well, isn't she? Yes, um, Ellie has been commissioned to write some short stories for the Women's Weekly Fiction Special, which Mm. is lovely. It's great news. Absolutely. If you like a short story where you want to, you've got 10 minutes for the cup of tea and you just want mm. a bit of me time um, and, you, and you're not planning to have a quick nap, um, then picking up a fiction special and having a flick through to the short stories, um, you will find Ellie Curzon nestled there among the other writers. Yeah, I think as well, what's very different for this, for us, is because these are short, short stories. Oh, yeah. So in the past, we've written and published short stories, but they could be anything, you know, up to 15,000 words. Mm -hmm. But these are essentially a thousand words. Yeah. Um, So it's a completely different discipline. And you may think it sounds quite easy, but it's not. It's not. No, no. Because I think, I mean, at the moment, we're writing a sandbox that's nearly, it's nearly half a million words long. Mm. And then suddenly we've got to write a short story that's a thousand words long. Mm. <laughs> so you have to introduce the characters, introduce the setting, introduce the setup. You have to tell your story. Have the story happen and resolve it. Yeah. Um, and we, we're going to talk about two today. Um, we have got some others coming out, but these are the two that should be out by the time you hear this. Yeah. The first story is called Helping to Carry the Load. And the second is a little puntastic title, The Flyway Code. And we won't obviously talk too much about the content because it's quite easy to spoiler a story that's that short. Yeah. Um, but the first one is, is a story that reflects the situation we've been in for the last year, but not in a grim way. Well, there's been a lot of focus, hasn't there, on the NHS and yeah. you know taking care of the people that are taking care of us. And that's what that story is about, really. Yeah, and it was partly inspired by something I actually witnessed outside a hospital in the snow Mm. um, involving a very dashing doctor swooping Mm. in to the rescue. But not during a pandemic. Yeah, which is one of these things that's always stuck with me. And when when I witnessed it happening, I I was straight away sent a message to Catherine going, Catherine... I've just seen something that we need to use in a story. So thank you very much to the uh, doctor involved in that uh, that real-life exciting moment for inspiring um, the story. And the second story is... Um, it's, it's a bit of a skit, isn't it? Um, about um, a flight attendant 
who has to put up with a bit of a, a bit of an oafish pipe. Yeah. And it's a, you know they're both kind of one shot skit. Well, the, I say the second is a skit. Um, but I really enjoyed writing them because it is such a different discipline, and you do have to be incredibly well disciplined. Yes, yes, because you you have to use every, you have to think of every word you use has to earn its place more so than it does in a novel. Um, and obviously in a novel, you, you're obviously careful with the words you're using, but in a short story, it's crucial because there can be moments... I mean, I had to go... I, I went back and we went over for, for the first one we did. Um, and I was like, don't worry, I can trim. And actually, what I could trim, there was a lot... I was quite, it was quite worrying how much I thought I can trim this and I can trim this and I can trim this. And, and I thought, you need, to, you need to, you know, be more on the ball as you're actually writing it and feel where you're doing something that's a little bit... Waffly isn't the word, but it's where you can say something in one sentence or two sentences. It's something that I've had experience of because I write quite a lot for magazines, um, uh, non-fiction for magazines. So obviously your word count is your word count. Yeah. And if your box out is 200 words, it's not 205 words, it's 200 words. Mm -hmm. So I was... cracking the whip of it and I would sort of message Eleanor and say we're at 650 words and then I would tersely say after she finished writing her bit now we're at 700 words <laughs> you know like, as in delete some words yeah I'll go back and tweak and I think yes. <laughs> I think as well it's like the, the way of doing it where, where I when I've written to tight um word counts I tend to write it in a fairly sparing way, but not too sparing, thinking I'll go back and tweak it. But obviously when you're writing together, that doesn't work as well because Catherine could have had a... Re- you know, like Her character could react to something my character says or does. If I then go back and tweak it and decide mm. that's extraneous, suddenly her character's reacting to something that's not happening. Well, I so, think as well, yeah. with regard to that, it's very difficult to do that when you're writing with a partner in this kind of word count because... If one person, if you like, uses up all the words, yeah. the other person is kind of left thinking, there are no words left for me. <laughs> so yeah. if we both do that, we'd have ended up with kind of, you know, 3,000 words yeah. and having to cut a whole story's worth each. So I, I am aware, I can, I'm a bit of a sergeant major when it comes to things like this. I'm very well aware of it. But it's, it's in the service of the fiction, you know. Yeah, and I think I think in a way we so we had to sort of adjust to working in that way, which I think we did quite quickly once we found our yeah. feet, didn't we? I think. Um, yeah, I think it helped as well that we're very clear, and the same with the stories that will be in the next edition. We are very clear on this is just it's a one shot, it's a scene, and you tell the story in the scene. Yeah, and you know we can know all the stuff that goes around that. And it's great that you do. But it has if that's going on the page, it has to be a couple of words, not even a couple of lines, you know, kind of thing. You know, as you said, it's kind of like a joke. Everything has to move the joke or the story forward. That's particularly true with the flyaway code, which is a bit of a comedy sketch. Yeah. So that has to be moving forward all the time. And, you know, you have a very short space of time to go, this is him, this is her, this is the situation, and then spring the punchline. Yeah. And I think I think because of the, the kind of fiction that we write generally, it's very... It's quite character driven. I mean, yeah. not, I'm not saying we don't have plots because we do, but um, it's very character driven, and we have very sort of quite clear 
our characters, I think, have quite distinct voices. And I think that really helps with writing these very short stories because you, you get a feel for the character as soon as they open their mouth. Mm. Um, and especially, in fact, when we were writing The Flyway Code, I, was, I, I sent a message to Catherine and said, oh, I love this pilot, he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've heard a lot of pilots like him on my airwave radio when I've been trying to spot him. Yeah. I could imagine you sitting at the at the runway at, at Leeds Airport and just tuning in to him. Yeah, um, but it, it was great fun to write, and we really we're really happy to have been invited back, <laughs> if you like. Um, and because as well, we know you know obviously Women's Weekly has a real rich heritage of fiction, mm. and you know some absolutely devoted fans, and it's fantastic to be in the pages of that magazine alongside some wonderful authors mm. and to also reach hopefully new readers too mm, absolutely i mean i many years ago i had a job on a reception desk um and i used to read uh, the, the magazines that my colleague used to buy and she used to leave them under the desk and there wasn't a computer on the desk so it wasn't like you could sit there and surreptitiously play solitaire or something so um so i used to sit there with like magazines um, on my knee and read and used to read them and they were they were great for sitting on mm. a reception desk actually because you were just sitting there like oh have I got a few minutes spare yes I'm going to mm. read a short story um yeah so that they do and they do really brighten up your day actually things like that I think so it's nice I to think, think so. that we're cheering people up yeah <laughs> and I think as well that as we say the stories that so it's a magazine that it's just one of those magazines that you just you grow up in England, you know it. Mm. You know, you know this magazine. Everybody knows somebody has read who reads it, or as you say, like you know, you. It's just an institution, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's there. Mm, it yeah. is, it's, and so it's great to be to go. We're in there now. It's it's wonderful. It's lovely. Yeah, so we've got we've got some more stories coming up with them as well. So. Yeah. Uh, we shall we shall let you know what happens with those yeah. yeah so but yeah it's they're nice actually and it's quite a nice challenge actually for us as well yeah. isn't it when you think oh oh we should write one on this topic and then we and then you know then you can come up quite quickly with the with the stories so yeah. um it, it seems to be something we've taken to quite yeah i think so. smoothly i think yeah and i think as well because we do you know we do write sandboxes and ideas come out of those and Ideas from the short stories have come out of those, which is great because, as I was saying before, you might not put all of the character down on the page because you don't have that space. Mm. But we already know the characters really, really well. Mm. So we can just go, you know, here's, here's an hour out of that person's life. Exactly. I mean, a significant yeah, so hour. Flyway Code is sort of based on um, a novel we wrote, which is waiting for takeoff <laughs> somewhere <laughs> but um yeah but it's and it's not like you know it's not like it's not like if you if if you read that novel you'd go wait a minute no i think it's, it's sufficiently it's sort different. Of suggested by it yeah, yeah. Exactly. i'd say suggest you know the same way you might watch a short film and then you see five years later the film it became and you go oh it's really different but i can kind of see how it's yeah. genesis with that yeah yeah i think it's that way. yeah yeah absolutely Yes, because I kind of think when we wrote, ooh, The Dashing Duke. No, The mm. Dishevelled Duke, that's the one. In a way, that that was nice. It had, it had a really nice economy to it. 
that you felt, and we did have people say this when they reviewed it, that they felt like it, it was just the right length. So it's short mm. and, it's not, and you enjoy being with the characters for the duration of the story, but it didn't need to be a novel. That story, their story yeah. was told in, that, in, in just the Well, I think way. we've had these conversations before, haven't we, where I can't think of the details, but we're, we've sort of said, or it's something I know I've said, um, I'll say that, that their story is told. You know, we've all seen sequels to films or books where we say, well, that story was already told. And sometimes you, you see the sequel and you go, yeah, that story had been finished. It didn't need to be done again. Yeah. And I think that sometimes you might have characters who do nag at you and might go, you know, we need another pop if you like. Mm. But I think often when the story is finished, it leaves the characters in the place where that's where they need to be for now. And not to say you won't come back to it ever, but for now... That's where they are. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all nicely no, done to a turn. Yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing as well with them is that you know you don't have to have a twist at the end of every story. No, which is nice too, because I think there are some. I think it depends, doesn't it? Because I, sometimes I I do like read short stories, and I have like a, a short like a short story collection. And sometimes you do get authors that's just what they every story has a twist at the end, and it can get a bit exhausting. After and then you and then as you're reading it, you're there like trying to find mm. the twist as you read it, mm. and you think, oh no, it then becomes like a battle of wits between the reader and the, the author. Yeah, because do you remember when we were going through ideas? I remember saying to you, we don't need a twist on everyone. Yeah. You don't need a twist on everyone. It's a Friday night. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think that you were kind of going for that kind of, um, not a punchline, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of like, this is the end, boom. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I was going for, and in the end, you know, we've got a nice mix of both. Mm. I was going for kind of, like I said earlier, like this is an, an afternoon in this person's life. Yeah, and it's a nice, it's a nice story. Mm. And hopefully relatable. I think quite relatable, particularly a couple of the second lot that are coming out are going to be quite relatable, I think. Definitely. And they, it's interesting because they come, they come from ideas. The ideas come from both of us. Yes. Um, so we might like suggest this idea or that idea. And because they're, because they're so short, it can, it can kind of be, I'll come up with something, Catherine will come up with something else. And, and it's, actually, it's actually quite nice, isn't it? But then... But then because we've hmm. written together for so long, we, we can then, we can write each other's ideas quite hmm. quite well, can't we, I think? So. Yeah, definitely. We, we yeah, I think in, so. Yeah, we can fall into each other's worlds quite easily. Yeah, and I think as well with these, because they are, I'd say they're sort of like one scene or a couple of scenes, it's, it's very easy to communicate, if you like, that vision to the other person. So it's not kind of, you know stories where because I, I i have a thriller brain you know this yes I do. and i'll come up with like these plot you know i love thrillers and I'll, I'll come up with a plot that's a thriller and in my head the twist is not or not even the twist but the plot twists and turns are really easy to follow but when you try to communicate that to someone else if you're actually writing it, it's really easy because they've been on the journey with you mm. but if you're trying to say then this and this and this it's a lot to get hold of whereas in these stories, you kind of say, this is the scene. This is the mood, this is the scene. And you write it. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about who's 
you know, turning the cogs of the decoding machine type thing. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. Little, a little, um, little treat, a little hint there of something coming up in the future. So. Mm -hmm. Turning the cogs of the decoding machine. I was, I was just thinking that the, the, the short story writer who we both are a fan of is quite different from the Women's Weekly stories, isn't he? Old M.R. James, the, the, the ghost story writer. Well, yes, but we have got a, a little ghost-themed one coming up in the second batch, if you remember. Oh, yes, that's true, yes. Mm-hmm, which happened to a member of my family, but we'll talk more about that when the stories come out because that would be a big spoiler. Yes, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that one. I wonder what... Prefer to be absolutely terrified. Yes, I wonder what Monty would think of that. He'd enjoy it. A wailing ghost. Whoa. He had a good sense of humour. <laughs> what wailing ghost? The wailing ghost. <laughs> it's not about a wailing ghost. No, it's not. <laughs> no, I just wondered where that, who the wailing ghost is. I got confused. No, I'm oh, sorry. No, I was, I was, I meant, I meant Monty's wailing ghost. It's not, it's not one of Monty's. Oh, I see. No, no, it's not. No, and it's not. Well, is it a, is a it? furry creature from the pit? I, can't, I won't say because I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> well, there we go. So there you go. That's um, that's one of our Ellie, uh, Ellie Curzon new direction. Uh, yep, new project. New project with uh, under the Ellie Curzon banner. Mm -hmm. It's time to find out what's crawling out of the inkwell. Some lozenges, I hope, from that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a sandbox. It's still the sandbox. It is still the sandbox. It's 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 vast and fun. It's fairly rollicking, as they say. Yeah. Down my way. Yeah. No. It's it's um it's great fun. Yeah, so. it is. Um, I think that um you'll see some. Some of the things that were born out of that sandbox, I think, will make it to the page. I think. Yeah. And well, they already have. <laughs> oh yes. <That's laughs> but true. I think some more. I think some more. Yeah, it's great fun because obviously, I mean, you know, the, the, all the sort of Curse and Harkstead stuff tends to be very British, but when we're writing the sandbox, and it's set in America, yeah, we have to, we have to remember that the characters say things like couch and sidewalk. <laughs> well, I don't because I'm married to an American. Oh yes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm all right um but it's nice as well to write diff completely different types of character as well and in a completely different setting but also then because it is obviously a sandbox we can indulge different genres and have a bit of a play test some things out if they don't work take them out again and also um just occasionally do the odd really audacious thing that perhaps on the printed page readers might go what <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good place to test things out yeah and sometimes sometimes the thing that you think that would never work if it was published then you kind of look back and go oh, i probably would actually <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but it is a good it's a good proving ground it is it is it is it is and it's what's quite fun as well is that sometimes like if there's a character that we've kind of we haven't written yet, but they haven't, you know, maybe we just want to give them a bit of a practice run. Mm. They can just turn up for a scene in the sandbox mm. and then we can go, oh, that was good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's so it's, mm. it's quite fun to do. And we've certainly got some sandbox characters who we've already got earmarked for future Ellie stories, so you'll definitely be seeing them. Who's putting the fizz in your gin this week, Catherine? 
Well, last week, putting the fizz in my gin was Robert Stack, who's living in my house, <laughs> but also living in my house throughout lockdown. And putting the fizz in my gin this week is Dick Van Dyke. Dick now, Van Dyke. I will explain this. It's in a different way to Bob. So, because Mr. Curzon loves unsolved mysteries, I tend to go to bed earlier than he does and he watches Doctor Who or some horrifically violent horror film or something like that. And I will listen to the radio or, you know, do nothing or watch some TV. But what I wanted to watch was, because of the state of the world at the moment, I wanted to watch something that was undemanding. And I am a huge fan of comedy. And one thing that I've never seen, but I've always heard of as a sort of titan of comedy was the Dick Van Dyke show from the 60s, ran for five years in the 60s, produced by Carl Reiner, hugely influential. So I've been watching the Dick Van Dyke show. It is in some ways as dated as you should expect. But in other ways, for its time, it's very progressive. Mm. And it is... Very, very, very funny. It's very funny. You can see it's how it's had an influence on things like Seinfeld. Um, you can see its influence on modern American comedy. And it's just, you know, when you watch something like that, so solidly entertaining, it's just full of like really solid entertainers. Mm. So I should I say Dick Van Dyke, it's actually the cast of the Dick Van Dyke show is putting the fizz in my gin this week. The entire cast. The entire cast. If not only because I wish my name was Mari Amsterdam, because Mari Amsterdam is an amazing name. <laughs> I wish that was my name, but it's one of the supporting cast. I'm just imagining somebody bellowing that down a New York street. That's what Mari it's like. Amsterdam! When they introduce it, they go, starring Mari Amsterdam. Mari Amsterdam! But it's really, it's, it's just, you know, when you watch it, it feels like it's just such a perfect microcosm of the time it was made. You know, like Mary Tyler Moore sporting real Jackie Kennedy stylings. Everything is so... No, she was styled to look like Jackie. Mm. Um, and, you know, I grew up watching things like Lucy. I love Lucy Ball. So it comes from the same sort of heritage of that. Mm. Mm. And it's great. It's absolutely great. And, you know, he is, after all, Bert from Mary Poppins. <laughs> but he doesn't do an English accent. And for that, we should all be grateful. Oh, that's... Oh, Yes. Goodness me. Oh, no. I won't brook any word against Mary Poppins. I'll just tell you that now. Go blimey, Mary Poppins! No, no, no. I used to... I I remember watching... Every Christmas that would be on when I was a kid. And my granddad was born in Hackney. Mm. And every time Dick Van Dyke spoke, my granddad would just be like... He'd be shaking his head and go, Cool, dear. Cool, dear. I, but like? I think that's part of the charm now. It's so bad it's become part of the charm. Exactly. If it was an absolutely pitch perfect Cockney accent, it wouldn't be half as charming. And quite... it wouldn't be half as it wouldn't be as remembered. Did when you were a student, did they was diagnosis murder on during the day? Because it was when I was. I yes, it was, to... yeah. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke. I think it still is. It probably is. It's probably still Dick Van Dyke. No, it isn't. No, I mean it's still on. Ah. It's still on, yeah. But I think yeah. it's... I don't. Well, he's still going strong, isn't he? Yeah. Or he was at the time this was recorded. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that was... It was a um, diagnosis murder and Quincy MD. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Quincy, though, is a lot earlier, isn't it, than diagnosis murder? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like early, had a whole conversation about the love boat <laughs> and the quality of guest stars in the love boat being second to none. Anyway, who's putting the fizz in your gin? Now, you have, you're up against Dick Van Dyke, so... I know, but I'm, I'm going to go com- completely completely random here with something that is completely unrelated to Dick Van Dyke, but kind of related to what I mentioned um, just a little bit earlier. I bet I um, could relate it to Dick Van Dyke. Oh, no, but um, with the stories of the gothic short stories of M.R. James, um, Rhiannon Ward is putting the, the fizz in my gin. Um, so last time I was talking about Vaseem Khan's Baby Ganesh Detective mm-hmm. Agency novels, um, another book that I read was by Rhiannon Ward called The Quickening. Mm. Rhiannon Ward had written as Sarah Ward for some years, writing um, police procedurals, contemporary police procedurals. But um, last year um, she had a book come out called The Quickening, writing as Rhiannon Ward, so it's not just us who write under different names. Um, and it's a really good book. It's set in the 1920s, and it's a very creepy, gothic novel about a woman. She's a photographer, and she's got a job, and she's going off to this big, creepy house in the countryside, and lots of very creepy things happen. It's really good. It's got, it's got slow, creepy scares in it. And then suddenly, ah, sort of scares. I'd highly recommend it. It was so good. It's so atmospheric. And I think if you enjoy the stories of M.R. James, then I think you would probably really enjoy um, The Quickening. That so, sounds like one for me. There you go. It's really good. Do you know I can actually relate Dick Van Dyke to M.R. James? Can you? Right. So, you ready for this? Go, go for it. Go for it. So, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins. Yes. With David Tomlinson. Mr. Banks. Okay. Okay. David Tomlinson in School for Scoundrels. Oh, I love that film. I love that film too. (laughs) But who was a co-supporting artiste? Michael Horden. Michael Horden, lead of the legendary adaptation of A Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad. Oh, yes. Who wrote that? M.R. James. M.R. James. There you go. Six degrees of Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> or six degrees of M.R. James. Take your pick. People have just had a terrifying insight how my mind works. <laughs> what my mind is full of. Just like TV credits and films. Pop cultural references. Pop cultural references. Do you think I wish and I'll come to you is a pop cultural reference? Not these days. Probably yeah, not. It's a classic now, I isn't it? Stephen King writes M.R. James, doesn't he? So maybe... Maybe in a slightly sideways-ish way it is. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know because I don't know if I'd even say Stephen King is pop culture these days. That's true. But yeah, that's quite a good point. <laughs> you know, I hate to say he's, we're not in like the 1980s. No, we're not. He's like a respected author now. Oh, he's like yeah, he's like the granddaddy of horror fiction, mm. isn't he? Really. Well, mm. so you know, not, not entirely sure he's Garth Marenghi. <laughs> Robert Stack's living in our house and so is Dick Van Dyke. Bye. 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 Find out more at our website, curzonharksted.co.uk. 